they don't actually care about, well, they care about what you're doing or they wouldn't be talking to you. So that's kind of a given, right? Like yes. that's the base level for the conversation. All of the time and due diligence is spent on your legal agreements, your actual cash flows, like what is in the bank, not right. what you have on some fancy spreadsheet somewhere. Right. And 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 determining that everything that you've said to them is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, and so really, you know, and these are months and months of that, like it takes forever to get this stuff done. So by investing your time in it appropriately off the start, and it's, it's hard, um, but it's, it's, it's necessary and it really matters to the end of mind. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Leaders. I have an amazing conversation for you today. Carl Gartley uh, was a uh, uh, an operator out in Grand Prairie, Alberta, uh, and uh, also a business coach and became a VP. Uh, and so he worked from 1999 to 2009 in, in the West Coast. Um, and, uh, and I got to know him back then. We used to hold our Mexico trip together. Our first three Mexico trips were together. And so Carl started Deco Window Wash Repair and uh, while still at StudentWorks, and he grew that company to 225 locations with a StudentWorks style, named the top 10 fastest growing companies in Canada by uh, Profit Magazine. He founded Zafety, a mobile application software company that uses proprietary mapping and sensor technology to improve energy, construction, mining companies. Um, and he sold that company in 2017. He took on a role of director of product in R&D role at Spire Development. And uh, and he negotiated a reseller agreement with a publicly traded company uh, throughout North America. And he has most recently started a technology company and, uh, and has just created a, I'm sorry, uh, he and his partners have, have had a $3 million seed round and he's the VP of business development um, and a really, really cool new uh, software uh, program. Carl, uh, just amazingly um, authentic and vulnerable about the wins, the losses, the mistakes, the, the ways of thinking, the things that he took from his student works experience to have the incredible success that he's had. I, I think Carl's, you know, in around 40, late 30s, early 40s, and uh, and just a really, really great conversation. So I, I know you'll love this one. This one's a real special one. And, uh, you know, again, you know what I'm up to is finding amazing leaders. And so if you know someone who's, who's interested in becoming a leader, send them my way, shoot me an email or any feedback on the show, cthompson at studentworks.com. Send them to our website, studentworks.com, or share this podcast with them so they can hear about what the impacts of running a business with us and learning uh, and uh, learning the systems and program that we offer right across Canada. Thanks so much. Have a super fantastic day. Carl, so excited. I know we were having an active conversation before the podcast, but but so excited about having you on. So why don't we take you back before all the stuff that's happened since Student Works, but 
you know, before Student Works, who were you before our program? Who was Carl? Well, let's see. I was a student athlete. So okay. I was playing varsity hockey at college. And a fellow by the name of Jamie Wilson, one of the former yes. student painting fellas, was on my hockey team. Ah. And so what, what ended up happening is uh, Jamie came to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about running a business? And uh, to be honest, I've been thinking about it and kind of doing business-related stuff on the farm since mm. I was probably 12. Right. And, and I mean, at, at first I thought this sounds too good to be true. Like right. really, you know, I don't know that da, 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 da. And I, I, at the time was also a competitive golfer. Okay. And uh, my, the, you know, the uh, playboy plan was to go home, uh, go to nationals and golf and live my summer on the course and kind of get a Nick job kind of a thing. Yes. But then uh, it was actually my grandpa who knew someone that had previously done student painting that uh, called me up and said, Said, if you don't do this, you're crazy. <laughs> you like you like business. I know a guy that was really successful doing this. These opportunities don't come all the time. So really, my 80-year-old grandpa was the one that sold me on the opportunity the most. Awesome. And then uh, I don't know, if, I don't think you guys do this anymore, but I actually ended up going to what they used to have a late training. So I didn't get started until March. And then because of my sport i never ever uh had a preseason so I, I just started on the ground running april 30th or whatever I got wow. from exams and uh and the rest as they say is history it's history well correct we no longer do it that way uh andrew Brittnell, shout out andrew made a decision years ago that let's completely focus on recruiting until that january training and then we're 100% going to focus on training, supporting, and, and marketing, and, and, and selling. And as a result, uh, he did it one year. His averages jumped, and this is and, and he tested it, showed us. We went and followed, and then our averages at, right across the country have grown and grown and grown and literally more than doubled you know, since that day. And you people like you were always the example that – proved that we were wrong. Meaning if you ever had a really great person, they could make it start and work at the end of April. And most people couldn't. And, and it was a distraction. And so we, so it's again, we learn, and it's one of those things where what, that's one of the challenges of business is, is what are you going to trust? What, you know, like the apparition can actually get you going off offside. And one of our biggest competitors, they no longer exist anymore. College pro painters did it until their death. And I think that was one of the things that didn't work in their business model. You know, just, you know, uh, no, you know, let's 100% recruit and then no, let's 100% support. It, there's just something to that focus. So thinking back, like, what do you still rely on from the program and the years that you spend in the program? Well, um, one thing that I actually I brought up not very long ago is just is just kind of the mantra for um, how to run your personal life and business. So uh, be on time, finish what you start. Yeah. You would say always say please and thank you. I yeah. mean that one just applies so broadly. Uh, yes, yeah. it's it, it stuck with me forever. I think another one really has been always asking for something out of someone. So like always be closing, always be seeing if there's a referral, always be looking for new lines of business and pursuing something that maybe others haven't thought of yet. 
And so uh, actually, uh, I have a personality where I can't help but do that. Actually, <laughs> all of the tests come back and say questions convention and has to have something new that he's working on and, and you know, like willing to break rules, yada, yada, yada. Right. And, yes. and so uh, thinking back to my student works time and everything I've done afterwards, mm-hmm. it's really been about um, digging in and finding good ways to run business at good profit. Um, and and I, that started in the student painting world for sure. Yeah, I love the, you know, just learning just to ask and make, being okay with it. And so they say, no, no problems, right? And just ask again and ask again and just being so comfortable with that. And 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 again, like like you said, it works in the person in your personal life as well as in your professional life. Just and and uh, so we really obviously teach teach that even though some some of our operators come at it more naturally and uh, you know they'll more naturally apply but but everyone we're coaching that you know just hey let's let's take that on so we'll move off that amazing experience and i know your sisters went and did this so what was it what was it like seeing your sisters come and run the business what was that what was that experience? Well, uniquely i mm-hmm. happen to be their district general manager support yeah, coaches Fantastic. So I, I came out of the, the operator program and you know was was moving into lifer status and had to go question convention elsewhere right but but it was really interesting to see how our personalities impacted the way that we ran the business yeah and how with very different personalities yeah everyone was successful um, yeah. now that's where systems are very important. We all were willing to follow a system or you just don't succeed. Like that's a yes. plain example yeah. of it. But uh, it was, it was actually, it was really good for our relationships, that manager uh, yeah. operator uh, kind of relationship, because it took it out of the convention of, oh, it's my sister. You know, like yes. it, it was, it was, um, you know, we, we had to resolve conflict in different ways. Yes, we had exactly. to learn our way through kind of how, uh, no, I like, you know, it's not my job to come and move your 40 foot ladder. Like, sorry, sister, I, I help you out 99% of the time, beat up the guys that chase you, whatever, but yeah. I'm not moving your 40 foot ladder. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and those, those lines, I think were really good to, to draw the other part. I mean, we were also blessed to be very successful. Right. So seeing how that monetary win changed kind of the trajectory of what they were up to from a school career business standpoint was really rewarding. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's funny. I just, just, uh, I, I, I dropped a call yesterday to my sister who I also coached for two years and she was very successful oh, and became a, became a business coach for two years after that too. And, and again, we're still co- super close. Um, and there's no question that that was an impact, you know, and just again, and, and, and again, it's, it's, it's learning how to deal with and having those conversations, you know, and that's one of the things, again, that we learn at student works. How do you have challenging conversations and, and, and again, learning to have those and, and being okay. If you can't, you do, you agree to disagree sometimes, but let's talk about it. Or, Hey, how can we get aligned on this? And yes, that Carl, that's very fair. You cannot be in the role of being 40 foot ladders, although I know you're strong enough to, but that won't work. that's yeah. not, that's not leverageable. <laughs> For sure. We can't scale that. Can't scale that. But talking no. about scaling, talking about scaling, look at that. What a lead in. Deco. So, so you yes. move from general, you move from student works and being a superstar leader at student works West. 
tell us about the, those next stops. And, and also, how did you find the opportunity? Because that's one of the things our leaders listening are like, how, how did you, you know, what, what did you do next and how did you find it? Well, so uh, I, well, I didn't know if there would be a next, to be honest. I, I, I the Andrew Brittle has mentioned earlier, I, I, uh, I took the time and the effort to go out and say, okay, if I'm going to be in, and I have to be in if I'm going to stick around from an right. ownership or whatever standpoint, how would that work? Right. And just through just through the way that the conversation went, it became obvious that that wasn't really going to be an opportunity for me. So, you know, like, OK, cool, that's that's fine. And really, at that time, I knew that I had to build something myself, like to explore different different things. Yeah. So I was actually driving through Calgary, Alberta. Mm-hmm. and chanced upon, uh, and so to, to describe what Deco does, Deco is a, yes. a mobile windshield repair company. So mm-hmm. basically we provide a, combina- a combination of services where you can drive up to a tent in a power center parking lot yeah. and have your windshield repaired, um, you know, speedy and crystal glass and all of the big glass shops do it in shop. What we take advantage of is you can do it in the time that someone goes to shop for groceries. And so the convenience of the service was immediately obvious. Like I thought, wow, hmm, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then knowing how student painting had scaled from a small group of guys in Ontario, I thought, wait, hmm, if we applied the right business model to this, you could scale a company in a similar way. So I actually, it was just through kind of a, I guess everybody has a network. Um, turns out I knew someone that knew someone that knew the guy that had started it. And it was early days. I think he had, I don't know, three or five locations or something like that. And so I came to him and said, hey, would you think about supercharging your growth? I think I have a model that could right. that could make this thing grow. And I mean, negotiations, I buy in to, to, to the company. And then uh, we grew to... 225 locations in five years, which admittedly I would advise anybody that goes to grow any kind of location business, don't do it that do way. That way. <laughs> we, we just about grew ourselves bankrupt four times. Like it was, it was crazy. Uh, but it was also something where I was, I was specifically looking for something where I could take skills that I already had right. and apply them to something that I understood. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, it's something where you have to kind of look at what you like to do because any commitment to start a business, it's five to seven to 10 years in my experience to get anywhere with it. And I knew I loved working with students. I knew I could scale things in the student realm and I had enough knowledge to kind of understand how to model it for success. So yeah, that was kind of how I chose. There's all kinds of other adventures in that story, but, but it is, it is something where that was kind of the first, first step out of out of student painting world well no i think it's super super cool and and one of the things actually to comment maybe that fast that many maybe not making sense and on the other hand because you did it fast you created a foothold that no one else likely is trying to do what you're doing right you've got relationships in place so tell us where did that where did that company end up and how how, you know how much volume or whatever or share and i know you left it but maybe you can share you know 
Yeah, no, it, it just came back into my world recently. So I still own a portion of the company and, and uh, it grew to a point that actually wasn't practical. And well, and as you guys in Ontario likely know, you use salt, we use rocks. Um, and there just wasn't the volume of sales in certain okay. geographies for us okay. to have a profitable business. Okay. So the version of it today is scaled back from a number of location standpoint. I think we have like 150 or something like that. Okay. But uh, from a revenue standpoint, um, I think that company, uh, yes, yeah, seven, seven and a half million dollars in revenue at a really good profit clip. So it's 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 a good company and uh, and and one that, you know, I'm I'm proud of what it became. Yes. Um, obviously not involved there anymore, but yeah. uh, but it's 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 really neat to see, uh, you know, I mean, what ultimately was an offshoot of a model that worked. Yes. Um, become something that was scalable across uh, across the country. Yeah, no, and 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 again, we 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 we've, we've had many alumni who have taken our model and literally, you know, ripped it, ripped it off. We like to say R and D. Um, yeah. R and D is for for entrepreneurs is rip off and duplicate. You know, and again, there's nothing wrong, Carl. Carl, you know, we would have been yes, and I know we actually talked during this period of time a number of times. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's like all right, let's go, and and you know, there's there's. Uh, it's creating a way to do what we do someplace else. You you had success here. It was, and then you were thinking, what's next, right? Because eventually it becomes, you know, if I'm going to be the guy who's running it, then I'm going to run it. But there obviously was a guy who's running it. So, yeah. so you know, and okay, hey, I, I'd grown it. So what, what was next and what was your thinking around that? Well, uh, I mean, at Deco, in order to facilitate that kind of speed of growth, we had some specific problems. One, mm -hmm. we're just we're distributed all over the place, so we right. have this geography that is just massive. Mm -hmm. So we're right. talking, oh, Vancouver to Whitehorse to Yellowknife to Calgary to Winnipeg to Ottawa, like just this yeah. huge element. And and something that you can thank the paint stores for. All of your product comes to you in the painting business. Yes. In our business, we had to get that product to everybody. So yeah. tents and resins and machinery and you know and and point of sale. How do you store like and all these yeah. everything? So yeah. um with those problems, we actually had a couple young guys that I, you know, that that came to us and said, hey, we can't run our business this way. This doesn't make any sense. Let's build an application on the iPad one. And we'll distribute iPads to these sites. We can do our sales on there. We can track everything on there. People can order materials on there. Da, 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 da. And I mean, it turns into this fairly massive system pretty quick. But I thought, holy cow, like done right. This is amazing. Right. <laughs> and so and so we started uh, developing during the app revolution. We're talking, right. oh gosh, 2009, 10, 11, I think it was, this, this application that allowed us to scale without totally blowing our brains out, but also provided these nuggets of like, holy cow, people aren't looking at the world this way. Like this changes right. everything, everything as far yes. as business is concerned. And so, and so we actually, that application was named the most innovative enterprise app on the, on the Apple app store. Uh, we beat, uh, we actually beat square by, 
I think it was eight months on offering point of sale technology on iPads. Isn't this sure fantastic? <laughs> we should have said, that. what were we doing? Anyhow, you wouldn't um, be able to but, reach me. I'd be on my yacht, Chris. Right? That's right. Well, yeah, that's I mean, why. That's why I'd mean, be hanging out with Elon <laughs> or something. Anyway, um, but uh, but the the learning from that was okay. This is going to change business, and um, you know, as I left. Deco, it was just an obvious, obvious move. You know, well, I wanted to prove I could do something all on my own. Okay, um, so yeah. I, uh, I founded a tech company, uh, started a company called Zafety that was basically a health, safety, environment, and operations uh, mobile application. So we we took on extremely challenging problems. Hindsight being 2020, there's a reason sometimes that other people haven't done it yet. And that is it's just not ready to be done. Um, right. However, a lot of the best opportunities are when you can do something that nobody else can. So we uh, yeah launched that. So we started our, our, our kind of trials of it in 2013, got our first customer in 2014. And then actually, I mean, we, we got the, the, the benefits slash detraction in the end of the day to a certain extent, uh, ExxonMobil took interest in what we were doing and they're a monolith like it's a huge company so you look at it and you start seeing dollar signs and oh wow we're gonna you know this is gonna be crazy and we actually executed on what they needed us to do problem being that the market that with the niche market within this and it was an environmental problem uh relatively unique to northern alberta at the time um okay and uh, they paid us way too much money to go and help them solve this problem. But then we experienced the energy crash of 2014, 15, right as this product was ready for the market. Uh-huh. And uh, as I was mentioning earlier, like watching the market that you're going to start, like imagine if 95% of houses disappear overnight. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> what what's, what's going on? Yeah. And, and imagine so, the, the greater market totally turning against you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it's something, you know, from a survivability standpoint, hindsight, always yeah. 2020, pick a market that can't disappear. Yes. <laughs> if at all possible, like pick a market that can't disappear to build a technology for, because then there's a certain internal <laughs> defense mechanism around it. But uh, the, the part about that learning experience was you have a nugget in technology that you've built proprietary. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it was really a matter of kind of, you know, it was almost like Apollo 13, like taking everything out of the equation that didn't matter to determine exactly what mattered. And we're going to focus on that because otherwise we'd have been lost in distraction. And and, and I mean, gosh, had to be 95 percent of the guys that were trying to start things in this part of the world in that time that they went belly up. Like for sure they would have. The market yes. left broke. So I didn't allow that to be an option. And it ended up that we picked another operational problem that was, you know, a bit of a hot button topic uh, and utilized that uh, to first, I mean, build a bit of scale. Right. And then second, I could see um, strategically that everything in that particular industry ends up being part of an enterprise software, like a big one. Right. And so I started moving down the road of, okay, here's our revenue. Here's what we're doing. I got approached by three different companies around acquisition Mm -hmm. and chose to sell that company in 2017. Um, And so it was, it was a short ride, 
a crazy ride, but it was right. one where, you know, the, the, the learning and, uh, kind of the intensity of that experience. Once again, you get to carry with you into everything else that you, that you do on a go forward basis. So what did you end up, where did you end up directing that piece of software? What, what, what was the market that it ended up serving? Um, it ended up serving, uh, still energy market, but, um, but more so on the operations side. So we had okay. targeted, uh, originally it was mostly drilling. So extraction, and, uh, we just went, you know, downstream of that, uh, to the pipeline and I guess facility operators. And the nugget that we built really well, actually, it's, it's kind of funny. So the sign-in sheet, I don't know if you've ever been to a construction site, some, some of the big ones, uh, that yeah. we paint on, there's a sheet at the front, you put your names on there for your painters and whatnot. Uh, we turned it interactive and mapped. So basically, we allowed them to know what their site roster was on some of these locations that are more dangerous, you know, yeah. gas whatever we could give them a better a better picture of that yes and then the real kickers we could also prove whether their billing was ethical. yes well by the so, way that's exactly what i that's exactly what i thought when you were saying what a huge advantage uh you know that oh this is this is actually happening so yeah yep. and and all of the companies that ended up chasing us from an acquisition standpoint all could add value to what they were doing already yes. with that inherent piece um, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, and, and, you know, once again, negotiating the merger and acquisition of a, of a company mm-hmm. while running the flipping thing during the day, you know, right. I, I mean, the, 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 uh, the learning of kind of how that works and the dirty pool that guys can play and, you know, like the way that you have to kind of strategically think, okay, if this falls apart, what's next? Cause one fell apart right at the, like signing kind of the yes. thing. And, and, and so you, you learn again that, you know, like these negotiation skills and being problem um, solution oriented and so on. And, and I mean, going back to the first time a client, you know, causes, causes you stress and the first time a painter quits at the most inopportune time. I mean, it's not the same, but ultimately there's elements of it. Like, like, like history uh, isn't ever the same, but it kind of rhymes sort of a yeah. thing. Like, like, like you're, you're, you're leveraging the skill set again in a yeah. totally different way. Well, one of the things that, ha- as you're describing this, one of the things that, you know, for all our leaders, many of you will find yourself in Carl's situation, looking to sell your business. And you could tell Carl, you know, you were aware that this could fall through at the last moment. And how can I, and how, how am I going to be prepared? Because one thing that entrepreneurs will do is they'll sell their business before they sold their business. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's like, they've got you. And, and frankly, I have friends who buy businesses for, for a living now that they've been successful. And they basically say, we go and make an offer and then we do due diligence and then we draw it back and we see what happens, you know, and if, if they take it, great. You know, and if they don't, we don't. And 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 they go, yeah, maybe it's kind of shitty, but whatever. You know, this is what we do. Yeah. And so it's it's understanding that. And so one great podcast is by a friend of mine who was on my podcast, built to sell radio, and talks okay. about those types of scenarios and how do you play it out and how do you think about these things? Because most entrepreneurs don't think about selling their company. And eventually, you know, that that's good chance, unless it's a multi-generational thing, that's what's going to happen. And, and how do I prepare for that? How do I think about that? Because some people are in the business of buying companies and they're likely way, way better, or they're obviously going to be way, way better at that than you are, given that you well, won one. 
<laughs> and part of the part of the you know like we are a summation of our experience yeah part of the reason why my mindset was that way is i watched succession disasters in farming like okay over again where like parents and kids don't talk to each other anymore oh. where who owns the land i've been farming it but dad owns it and then he sells it out from underneath them or, or whatever so there was you know and and, and there there's kind of this inbound understanding that if you're not preparing for it, I would say that you're missing a piece of your business entirely. And, yes. and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you want to sell it more. Like I, nope. I, running businesses that are highly profitable, what an awesome gig, like yeah. lifestyle, scale, whatever, what an awesome yeah. gig. But, but it is something where beginning with the end in mind, I would suggest that that passion that you feel today for your business in seven years may not be there in 20 yeah. years. This is going to feel a little different in 30 yeah. years, like it years just yeah. uh, over time. Yeah, no, and my, uh, my partner and our CEO, uh, you know, Helen always talks about, you know, you have to be prepared every day to sell your business. Your business has to be prepared to sell. We have no intention of selling and it's prepared to sell. And when you live and run your business that way, then you're always in a good spot. You know, it's, it's, it's like earlier, you're happy, but never satisfied, you know, living yeah. in that space, you know, and so that, you know, again, so that also as well, then you have the spark to still enjoy your business. You're enjoying your business, but if you're not, or you see storm clouds going and a lot of times you, you're, you're the one who can see those storm clouds coming. Maybe those, those macro conditions are starting to change. A lot of people don't understand that actually impact your business and saying, yeah. well, okay, now's the time. Now's the time I had, a, you know, uh, or, you know, so, so it's just, it's just knowing that. So, so no, I think that's a really great aside. So, so you exit that business. And then what's next for Carl? <laughs> well, I mean, actually, another part of exiting a business, um, there's a whole bunch of different variety of ways to do it. And I mm -hmm. saw through this acquisition process, one was all cash and see it later. Yeah. Yeah. One was uh, oh, cash and shares, um, but shares in a publicly traded company, right. which are essentially liquid. And then, right. and then uh, and then a corporate uh, position within that company for, I think it's two years to get your full options and so on component. Mm -hmm. And then the third one was with a private company, um, less cash, more shares. Right. And, and uh, the one that ended up coming to fruition was that one. Um, okay. And this is a, it's a private company, but it's got enough shareholders. It might need to be public someday. I don't know how that's going to work, right. but it was something where looking through their client deck, it was an obvious fit. So our product would sell through their clients and increase revenue. And then um, at the time, there was a bunch of really interesting um, and compelling conversation, sales process, and so on going with co-companies, like companies we were both in front of. So there's a, a, a nice marriage there. Mm -hmm. um, did it work out perfect? They never do. Every acquisition <laughs> has hair on it. Uh, like, yeah. I don't think yeah. that there's one that I've heard of where both sides are like, oh, best thing in the world. Great win. Yeah. Never, it never works that way. I spent a full year of my life under my breath going, you're not the CEO. That is not your decision to make. You're not the CEO. You got to just, you got to you, you drop it. You can't do this to yourself or to that other guy yeah. because, you know, you're even the, the operators that you have, like you're prone to making the decision. If you're yes, going to get all works or anything yes. else, yeah. you want to yeah. make those decisions. So, so I ended up actually kind of taking over the research and development 
department. Right. Okay. Often duplicate. Uh, and, uh, and had, I mean, admittedly some great years from a lifestyle standpoint. Um, it is very different working in kind of a corporate environment and, and admittedly feeling every day, like I should get more responsibility, not less. Right. Um, so admittedly, I kind of, kind of took advantage of that worked right. on these projects. Uh, we, we did a bunch of R and D with a Mexican company for a multi, a couple multinationals, you know, got to learn about that part of the business, um, that product. I'm hoping it commercializes in the next year. It's a game changer in energy. So it was really neat right. to kind of see how that financially would change the business. Right. And then um, ultimately COVID, you know, came out of left field for everybody. I didn't have a full plate at that company. So it, they, they, you know, we kind of both chose like I was a toe out the door already and they were kind right. of thinking the same way. So it was, it was, it was amicable. And uh, then I kind of was looking for my next thing. Like, what do I, what do I do in this crazy new world? And, uh, and so actually I'm, I'm wearing it. Tripscore is the Trip name score. of our uh, is the name of our new company. I invested early with a friend of mine that's building a technology, and basically what we do is we uh, we take and flip the paradigm on how driving should be improved. So right. today, basically everything that uh, that monitors driving is built around penalties. So we get speeding tickets, we get fines, we get if, if you're uh, yeah, exactly. If your company happens to have telematics on their vans, yeah. you only hear about it when you speed or break or whatever too much. And uh, the premise behind this was, well, that doesn't change behavior. behavior. We know that. Yeah. yeah. What changes behavior is monitoring more rewarding people for it. And so mm -hmm. we, we, un, unlike the insurance companies that just want to give you a discount and kind of steal your data, we're more so partnering with uh, with the users of our mobile app to encourage them to drive better by partnering with retail brands and, and, and different outfits to reward um, the user experience and have people actually get uh, consumer gift cards for, uh, for driving better and doing something better for themselves in the world. So then there's partners coming in with you and wanting to really so what's their piece? Obviously, they they see the opportunity to engage you as a buyer. Yeah, so there's 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 two pieces to it: the corporate social responsibility piece of doing well to do good work. work. Yes, but 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 more so, there's established digital marketing paradigms called pay per click, pay per impression, yes. and pay per action. And basically, what we're doing is providing a mobile experience that draws the user into a yes, driving better, but also a gamified. Me mechanisms with which they can interact and then the brand pops up every time you interact with the app. right so ultimately what we're doing is is selling yes corporate social responsibility but also brand impressions and the unique tar software their proximity based brand yes. impressions. so as right. people drive by they can earn rewards at specific outlets like a mcdonald's or a starbucks or whatever it might be and so obviously we're not interacting with the screen while they're driving. Of course, <laughs> of course. yes. But, uh, but post haste, uh, we were able to offer them things that thank you for driving well next to XYZ school zone. Um, right. These guys sponsor you to drive well in yeah. the school zone and want to offer you a $5 gift card or whatever it might be. So it's a, it's a unique form of, mm -hmm. of, of, ad, 
advertising, but one that really we're kind of at the intersection of three markets that are taking off, um, you know, proximity based advertising, um, user based in, in insurance. So yes, we're still working with the insurance guys, just not that's the only motivation. And then gamified uh, applications. So um, it's it's exciting. It's fun. Yeah. It's also a startup. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, you know I always describe. So I've been involved with three types of businesses really in my life. Asset based. You live your whole life on a farm, building out your asset base, and then hopefully it's worth something when you retire. Right. Uh, cash flow based. So paint another house, more cash flow, pay your workers, pay the bills, take the profit. Yeah. And then and then technology and 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 I describe technology as it like it begins like this, like you just send you spend money, money. send money every yeah. day all the time. And so long as your hypothesis are right and you can get the right revenue, it comes back to you in crazy volumes. But yeah. you better get it right because <laughs> otherwise it's, yeah, it's a lot of cash out and not much return. So right. it's something where um, my role at the company, I'm actually kind of, I'm almost like the CEO of my own division of the place here right. where I'm I'm managing our business to business um, uh, opportunities where companies can come alongside us, garner information about the safety of their drivers, anonymized because mm-hmm. I don't right. like the content monitoring people and then and then the drivers themselves take advantage of the retail consumer rewards that we're already providing and be, and can be given unique rewards to the company so they can right. sponsor by their own company to drive better okay okay and so uh so obviously a big part of what you're doing is is it's going to cost a lot of money so are you and your partner gonna look to self-finance for a period of time or or you know Actually, how how do you consider that so the the way that this works so far is, and, and this is very common to to technology companies. So uh, in 2019, we did a pre-seed round of financing, which is basically uh, friends, family, founders, and fools. Um, okay. So you know the people that are that believe in you more than whatever you're doing because you can't even show it to them yet. Um, from there, a few kind of private financiers came along in is through the next. I guess, couple of years where um, they raised debenture financing. Right. So just, just some small uh, like debt objects that turn into equity upon um, someone really betting on the company in the form of a financed round. Right. Actually uh, exciting in November, we took on our, our finance round. So we raised, uh, I think about three, $3 million um, okay. from, uh, from uh, an American um, uh, LLC that, actually represents uh, well a bunch of our clients <laughs> so basically we took the concept to uh, to some clients and in, in, in various spaces and they went well yeah we pay for this but can we invest and great way to do it by the way like yes easier than selling your soul to a VC actually yeah um, but uh, but yeah so we just raised our seed round and so the way that that works is it basically values the company at a set point. Your uh, debt debentures roll over into shares, and so uh, we haven't like the the original ownership group hasn't lost control of the company at this point from a shares. But well, now it just depends on your revenue ramp versus your cost ramp. And how how fast how fast it goes. How yeah. fast can we get revenue, and how fast do we have to scale our costs to go get more? And and so it's an interesting challenge because. You know, obviously, you want to get the revenue ramp going, but you you have to time all of that correctly. And if you're not yeah. ready, and you get too much revenue, then it's a distraction. Um, but I anticipate, just based on on 
conversations that we were already in before raising the money, right. um, we should we should run at a three hundred percent to. F- uh, I mean, it could be anywhere up to 5,000% growth uh, ramp um, between now and 2024, which will put us in a spot where, you know, once again, that planning for the sale, yeah, exactly. uh, we're, a, we're a super attractive sale option for a bunch of companies or uh, w- with the revenues that we should be acquiring based on that, we could go the other way and, and start acquiring um, different technologies even technologies that we lean on right now that are really compelling. But, you know, it's, it's really, that's part of the adventure too. You, you don't know what you're going to get. So yeah. we'll, we'll take it step by step. And, and uh, uh, the next call won't be a podcast, but I'll be pitching you probably. <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking, looking for, looking for amazing alumni, you know? And that's yeah, one of, exactly. One of the things that, that, that we've, we've obviously had an incredible success about growing incredible leaders and, and especially salespeople is one, one huge thing. And, and, and so we've had a whole number of uh, uh, customers, sorry, the businesses come our way and how could we attract? And so that's one of the things that Carl is, is interested in. We'll be talking about. Um, but in one of the things as well, as we've talked about already in the pod and we talked about before is, is the, ups and downs of markets. So we've talked about the ups and downs of the oil market. You know what else is there's ups and downs is in the financing market. So right now, money is flush. There is so much inflation in the market. There's so much money. People have lots of money and they want to find cool things to invest in that they think obviously can make them wealthy. And so it's also being aware of that. And I know you're aware of that, you know, that things are good now. So let's go get some cash. And then, you know, also going, are things going to be bad and just being aware and just yeah. conscious, right. And managing. Well, and I mean, as like, um, you know, really, I think everybody learns with time in entrepreneurship yes. that there's some very central rules to all of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the extraneous elements of markets and people and, you know, like all the things that kind of impact you along the way. But uh, the, the, the one that just gets me is really business has two rules. Yeah. Create value and earn profit. Right. So there's a whole plethora of different ways that you can do that with a technology, with a, a services business, with whatever. But um, well, I mean, and, and admittedly, one of the one of the guys that uh, I mean, wasn't an acqui- like wasn't a guy that was interested in acquisition. But one of the ones that we approached said, well, no, look, like you got a cash burn. I'm just going to wait until you bleed out and then buy the compelling technology for pennies on the dollar. And so and so, I mean. Always have those conversations in mind if you're going to build a business that is cash out the door before the revenue comes in, yeah. because every dollar of revenue is probably worth 20 in peace of mind or 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 in the ability to not get kind of shoestrung, you know, yes. like, like where, yeah. where they, they've got you by the short curlies versus the other way around, yeah. because I mean, people don't. Like, yeah, business is an interesting game. You always want to be in the position where you're not in danger as much as you can, but, but you're like, as a startup in technology, you're in danger. <laughs> like, well, you're running out of oxygen. It's just a question of time. And well, so, and so yeah. the, that, that, that whole plan towards revenue positivity doesn't matter what you're doing. You know, yeah. and, and I, I mean, I've seen people do a whole range of interesting things after they're done with student works or deco or whatever they might be. The ones that do the best have the great value or profit. Like profit. Um, yeah. Thing. 
And, and it's, it is interesting as well. Again, my experience is, it, you know, business is business. And it's like, you know, the offer they're going to make you when they think you're in danger is not a good one. You know, so, no. so it's, it's just, <laughs> it just, it's not personal. It's just business. And so, and by the way, as well, they're looking at, well, you're in danger. So this is not, so all of a sudden I'm increasing, this seems risky. So I'm increasing the rate of return I expect. So it, it makes yeah. sense. And so, so it's a, it's, it's certainly something I've learned over the years as well. So, uh, so I think that's really great. And one of the other things that I thought we'd reflect upon or I'd ask you to reflect upon it. Something we talked about before was was just, hey, you're no longer the CEO, and and now you're VP Dev, and and really a, a lot of times, you know, you know, just in charge of business development, and that seems that that's been a big part of your strength. But how do you compare and contrast those roles? You know, not not being the CEO and the advantage of it and the disadvantage of it, and you know, just looking at those things. Totally. So I mean. Um, one of the I was really lucky to have great advisors in the tech company. But one of the one thing that I would recommend if someone's going to start a company where you're asking for lots of money, go ask some heavies to put their place that their face to your business. And if they say no, that tells you something. Yeah. So it has to be compelling enough that they'll take the risk of their time mm-hmm. in order to even 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 advise you. So yes. one of our uh, one of our advisors actually was one of the I don't know the first call it 10 hires at BlackBerry. Yeah. And really looking back, he provided a lot of the hard, like the hard lesson stuff. But what one of the things that I remember him saying is, look, the C and CEO stands for cash. And when it comes to what you need to do in that role, you need to obtain cash, manage cash, know where the cash is, protect the cash from the standpoint of legal and IP and all yeah. those types of things. And you're going to spend probably 75% of your time on cash. That's what yeah. you have to do as a CEO. And I mean, great advice, awesome advice. Um, not, not the skill set that I love the most. Yes. It's not something that I wake up in the morning uh, dreaming of cash. In fact, I, I found that as the CEO, I literally would dream in spreadsheet. Like uh, I'd, I'd be moving stuff around in, in spreadsheets to make to make the next thing work, right? Wow. And 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 that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sure. But it's something where I think um, I am more of the business development CEO where I like yes. to be visionary and sell things and um, really kind of uh, product focused, understand what the problem is and be curious around how to fix it. Yeah. So what, what, um, what I've basically discovered is, and, and it will apply to any business that I get involved in um, go forward is if I'm going to be the employee I don't be anywhere near the cash and legal and yes. I'd rather sub that out entirely. If I'm going to start something, I will have that talent set right next to me. Because it, yeah. It's yeah. too important to abstain or leave to wow. leave to someone else or whatever yeah. it might be. So I think, you know, for, for people that, are coming out of this program like really the world is your oyster you're so young you don't think so but you really are yeah. <laughs> um and uh and uh you know understanding about yourself and what you're strong in kind of shapes the picture of how if you're going to start something 
find those skills that you don't have and surround yourself immediately with them. And if you're going to be part of something, make sure that part of that profile just fits who you are Uh, in that, you know, I know fart and I'm sure you do too, like far too many people out there are making crazy swaths of money, million, $5 million a year and hate their lives. Like they just can't stand what they're up to. Yeah. And it's like, well, I mean, you decided to manage millions or billions of dollars on behalf of people that don't give a rip about you. Like, like I mean, how did yeah. you not think that that might that be a gonna problem happen. for how you yeah. feel about yourself? You know, yet I don't think people do it intentionally. I just think yeah. they either, and it can happen the other way too. Like they chase the dollars on one yes. side. And then I know people that are 40 years old have been in the not-for-profit sector their whole lives, never took a paycheck. Yeah. And they're miserable too, you know, because they never really kind of thought about though. Yeah. What does come after the X in this, in this world to, to make sure I can have a family or, yes. or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it, it's something where that burning desire to start something of your own is not natural. You are a bit of a freak. Um, but if you're going to do that, make sure that you have the right people around you to do your best at ensuring success. Yeah. And also make sure that you're doing what you love. And and so then all the hard work is not as hard and it's enjoyable. And, you know, so, so clearly, you know, you're a biz dev guy, I get it. Right. And there's an excitement around recruiting people and leading people and finding, you know, the product and how to fix it and those sorts of things. And you can feel the passion, like our leaders feel the passion, right. That you're speaking of. And so you're going to like your job, you know, and again, when things are not as good, well, I'm still going to like it because I know it's not as good, but you know, it's, it's, it's okay. Where again, sometimes I, I think so often people don't really even look at it. You know, like for me, when I went in, I, to my, to, you know, post university, I really, really considered what am I going to love to do? And that was, yeah. you know, that, that led me down a path. So it's, it's something to really ponder and what am I really good at as well? So what about biggest mistakes or failures? Uh, yeah, man. Let's see. I mean, with context to the businesses that I've started, I think it would fall into two categories. One, assuming expertise. So like, you know, all, all, all accountants, all lawyers are not the same, like they're yes. not yes. all the same. So assuming, assuming competence and, 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 and expertise is, is never a good idea for them to prove it to you. And then I think, uh, so, so that's a whole category. Like there's lots of stories there. And then on the other side is by nature, I'm a trusting person. Mm-hmm. I assume the best in people. I'm an optimist. There's a reason why accounts and lawyers get paid well. You know, A, force them to be an expert. B, use their expertise to protect yourself and your business. No, that's great. They spend, my father was a lawyer, they spend so much time just seeing more problems and problems and wealth being taken away or whatever. And they spend time looking, how can I protect that? Right. And here's what people have made mistakes with in the past. And like you said, listen, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect yourself. For sure. And 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 the other part that I think people underestimate, like, so in, in due diligence, yeah, they don't actually care about... Well, they care about what you're doing or they wouldn't be talking to you. So that's kind of a given, right? Like yes. that's the base level for the conversation. All of the time and due diligence is spent on your legal agreements, 
your actual cash flows, like what is in the bank, not right. what you have on some fancy spreadsheet somewhere. Right. And 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 determining that everything that you've said to them is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, and so really, you know, and these are months and months of that, like it takes forever to get this stuff done. So by investing your time in it appropriately off the start, and it's, it's hard, um, but it's, it's, it's necessary and it really matters to the end of mind. I'm actually, uh, one of the guys that, uh, that, that I know that sold, Oh gosh. I mean, it's probably one of the bigger sales in Alberta construction history. Sold his company to a major French outfit called Vinci, a right. huge P3 construction company. And he was the CFO. Right. He said, to be honest, everything about that sale was related to a few specific clause in contracts where we had it. Nobody was going to disrupt us from it. And that was what Vinci cared about was that they had that those clauses right in like three contracts. So, you know, if it, it, it matters to the tune of, and, and, and from that to making sure that you write down the right exceptions on a painting contract, it's all yes. the same thing. It's all like, the, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But, but to protect yourself, just make sure that you're thorough and have the right things in there. Yeah, no, that's, that's, oh, I love that. I love that. And, and, and thanks for drawing it right down to, you know, our leaders and what businesses they're running, right? Like it's, and, and it's, and it's learning that at a young age and then, okay, it's practicing and it's, then it's at real scale. And, uh, you know, one of our other friends of the podcast, Chris Rourke was on and they just had a, a refinancing and they just bought this, this big business. And, and you're right. They looked at their agreements and they're nothing like what they're writing and they're just not. And, and so their business is literally selling at, I don't know how many more times multiples or whatever, like, you know, being financed, that just makes all the difference, you know, just how, how, how strong those agreements are. Um, and by the way, as well, the only reason for our leaders, well, well then why don't you, everybody just have these agreements? The only reason you can have someone sign an agreement that is so powerful is because you are providing an enormous value, right? That's why they got those clauses because we need you because you guys are so good and you guys will help us make money, right? Well, and, and the specifics of what you can provide yes. become pretty crazy important as the, you know, I mean, as the scale and the importance of, of, of contracts go up. Um, admittedly, it was a big problem with our, our the, 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 the business that I built was that in order to obtain what they call an MSA, a master services agreement, right. with one of these big uh, energy companies, you have to, like... The only one that can sign off on that is the CIO or the right. CDT because right. these hook them into paying for your services for however long. Trying to get to that guy, it's like a stone freaking castle with a boat around it, right? Like trying right. to get to that guy. And and uh, and even when you do get their ear, you know how many guys are trying to sell them stuff that day, yeah. that week, that month? Like it's 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 a it's a crazy thing. But contractually, you know, the 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 contracts that really won us our sale were the ones that we were able to get. Um, if not to the MSA at the corporate level, to an MSA in a division of a company, and 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 uh, and so it's 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 interesting, kind of hindsight being twenty twenty, how much of uh, of your of your journey as an entrepreneur is really about making agreements and being able to stick to them. Yes, 
Um, yeah. And then that having that agreement produce value. And, you know, it's unfortunate. I wish it could all be done on a handshake. Right? No, yeah, no. But, but yeah, but, but, but that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't cut it in due diligence at all. They, and, they don't even it, recognize those ones. Well, when people change, et cetera. So how is that even possible to consider? Right. You know, so there'll yep. be a new CFO. There's a new CTO, you know, so it's so so no, it needs to be built. So so again, sales and then integrity to that sale. Yeah. Right. I'm going to do what I say for for the habits to that sale. We're going to deliver. So that's so awesome. So um, what key habits would someone want to steal from you? Um, key habits. I think I, like eternal optimism is a great habit. Sure. I, I mean, it's burnt me on occasion, but I, I wouldn't want to live any other way. Um, you know, I think I think it's a habit where if you wake up in the morning and go, you know, today's got a pretty good chance of being better than yesterday. That, 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 that just, you know, in life is going to point you in the right direction. Uh, another habit that I would say is a, is a, is a uh, great one to kind of keep is man. Well, and it's easier to do as you get older, sure. like uh, to a certain extent, but uh, manage your time. Like it's important to you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it goes, it goes like, you know, you're going to hear, Oh, it goes so fast. All this, the different stages in your life. It's, it's, it's critically true. Like, yes. you know, I mean, well, heck I, we were hanging out on a beach in Mexico, what, 20 years ago. Like, <laughs> yes, it's, it's exactly. Been a yeah. heck of a long, long right. time. Yes. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, you know, like exactly. it's not, it's not, it's not something where your memories necessarily fade, but being intentional about it is really important. And as, I mean, as you have kids and as, you yeah. know, things change in your life, you know, treat it like you're, you're taking that time away from your 10 yeah. year old, you know, it's kind of the way that you start to calculate things. And then last, and this, once again, on this podcast, relationships are everything. Yes. Like yes. they're not just part of the thing. They're kind of everything. Yeah. And, and making sure that you always hold an ethical standard, win, lose, draw, bankrupt, yeah. hugely <laughs> successful. The best people won't hold that against you. Yeah. But lie to them, cheat them, steal from them, show up late too many times for a meeting. Yeah. That's different. It starts to impact your character and those relationships just won't last. Just so love it. Love it. Um, such great value. Um, uh, so one question I missed and I, I love it is when you think back to that university student, you know, Mexico years ago. Okay. What did you, oh, to, what did you need to change about yourself? you know, to become the value creator you are now in the real, real world? Well, let's see. <laughs> I mean, through the context of Mexico, man, I had to, I had to mature a lot. Right. <laughs> Some of the stuff we were doing down there. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, I think, I think as well, like, I would say some of the biggest things that, that have changed is really around the, like a combination of patience and urgency in, 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 in decision-making. So that sounds totally backwards, right. but recognizing the difference between uh, a, a decision that has to be made urgently, like mm. this really matters. And then the patience to recognize, well, this decision, I can, I, I can actually make it over time or not make it at all and see what happens. Right. I think, I think, you know, I, I, I can confess that I've probably, gosh, I hate to say this, but I, I'm sure I've spent a million dollars on bad decision-making urgent. I mean, I'm in that call. We've got to do this. Yeah, yeah. Dev guys get going. We're doing yeah. this. And then yeah. never freaking sells like not a 
penny of revenue yeah. Yeah. out of those out of those decisions and so you know if a part of that is one over time but even even in a painting business yeah. you know what's 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 urgent oh you better get some leads um yeah. because that turns into estimates which turns into sales which turns into your pocketbook mm-hmm. that, that's that's urgent but being patient about like well is that the right guy to hire Oh, he's okay. Maybe yeah. a better one will come along in the next round of interviews, yeah. and you'll thank yourself for that one a few times. <laughs> yeah, I love well, run those businesses. Well, thanks for bringing it again globally and 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 to our students, uh, Carl. And 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 again, I know I've read or listened to quite a bit that 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 ability to sort of distinguish the decision. Does it need to be led? Does it need to be made now? And just being able to pause and just, you know, again, just, just pause it. And, and again, my, my, our, our CEO and my partner, incredible at that. Just hold on. Let's, let's just pause. And, and she, you know, she's around a group of people who want to make it now, <laughs> always yeah, now. Always. So, yeah, so there's, and, and again, there's that tension of, 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 of recognizing where's the wisdom. We need to make this decision now. We need to act on it now or hold on, you know, it's just so wise. Um, so final question, Carl, when, sure. the, when you think of the leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? I'm actually, it's kind of fun because I'm trying to build leaders of tomorrow in, the, in these kids. I got way too many of them and I'm trying to build leaders of tomorrow. So it does come to mind fairly, fairly solidly. I think um, one thing is educate yourself in the now, like what you're learning in university could, could literally be obsolete yeah. in five years. Like yes. the, the, the world is changing so quickly yeah. that it's hard to kind of even understand how to educate because yeah. what, what is coming down the pipe? Like we, we, we don't a hundred percent know, yeah. but the ability to be curious and educate yourself in the now just gains importance all the time. And I think to the leader of tomorrow is going to have a form of empathy and understanding for the human condition and the, the, the goals and plans and thoughts of the guy on the other side of the table. You're going to need to co-opt them in ways that previous generations just said, wow, it's your job, get to work. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> That's right. Anymore and at, at all. I actually, this is the first time this new company is the first time really because um, the the technology that I built, we we, we had to have senior um, guys doing it because it was so so new and 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 really kind of hard. And what we're doing here is more, you know, I mean, we're building on marketing and fairly right. like lighter technology requirements in some right. ways. So it's a young crowd. I got to drag up the average age by five years or more of being around here. And what I'm seeing is that the talents of young people are still awesome. Like yes. they, they've got remarkable talents and, and, and there's different ways of problem solving that they're engaged in. But um, just like telling them what to do and not co-opting them. You get way you get way less work and way less uh, quality of work um, sure. uh, out of that out of that method. So I would I would suggest that the leader tomorrow has to have a better uh, what's that called emotional intelligence. Yes, and kind of what's on the other side of the table and 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 use um, the the, the skill set of building that through things like student works um, to really extend that skill set so that it can be used you know in the boardrooms of tomorrow. Yeah, no, that's so great. I I love, you know, if you really think about 
successful people, you know, you can't sit on a university degree. You can't sit on the books you read, you know, whatever, you know, for me, you know, like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, it's really education's what learning how to learn, yep. learning how to get, be curious, find, you know, how, how, do, how do I figure that out? Or who do I need to recruit to help me figure that out? Or who do I need to recruit to partner with to figure that out? And, and, and being humble enough to be the yeah. guy in the room that says, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe, maybe not as hard on yourself on the, no. I don't know, but like making it, making other people aware, like, look, you know, and, and, and I don't know how many times now where um, one of the smartest things to do in business is be the stupidest guy in the room when yes. it comes to the people that are around you. Yeah. And because you're forced to learn, you can't keep up. Otherwise, yeah. and 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 that is something that I've specialized in getting into technologies. Well, I, I actually don't know. I, yes. I can ask somebody, or mm-hmm. maybe you should ask this guy on the other end of the table. But I, I don't know. Yeah, and 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 people appreciate that candidness. I think. Um, and, and and you also become the person that learns how to know for the next meeting. Yes, hundred percent. And to tie it into, you know, our painting and window cleaners, you know, I don't know how to put this ladder here. I don't know how to deal with this new product or I don't know. And that's okay. And customers will be feel confident because you are humble and you are aware of the limit of your learning and the limit of your knowledge. And people will trust that going back to trustworthiness, right? That's something that a trustworthy person does, you know, and a confident person does. So, uh, so, so Carl, uh, what a fantastic conversation. I look forward to more in the future with you. Um, <laughs> so, so, and we will, and uh, have yourself a fantastic day. You as well, Chris. Thanks so much. We'll see you okay, soon. Cheers. We'll talk okay. soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.